the Designated Drinker Show, the podcast that's raising the bar on craft cocktails. I am Louise Solace, and with me, as always, is my very talented friend. She's my very own Energizer Bunny, the Mixtress DC Gina. Hi, Louise. That comes because you always keep me going. Like, I might get really excited around you because I usually get a really great cocktail, too. But yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, it was at the three o'clock in the morning phone calls. We need to do this. <laughs> that is no joke, folks. <laughs> Today. <laughs> yeah, actually, about seven this morning, you're like, I haven't heard from you. <laughs> you know what it's going to be for me, Louise? It's going to be like this. And one day, when, when, my, when my day comes and it's over, it'll be like, I'll be working frantically and then be like, that's it. It'll be done. Yeah, I'll barely have time to die. Well, you know, <laughs> if you're going to do anything, do it that way. I oh, think that would be the best way to do it. Yes, dramatic and very quick. Yeah. Painless, yeah. done. Um, so I'm going to turn this because it's getting a little dark. No. <laughs> it's not dark. So I'm going to throw these and I'm, I'm, there's some names out at you. One of those little quiz for you. Um, so Marilyn Monroe, Jackie Wilson, Gloria Steinem, Joe Namath, Pamela Anderson, Anna Nicole Smith, Gene Simmons, Kate Moss. They all have something coming. What do you think? Cocaine. Cocaine? Well, pr- maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Glorious time, maybe. I don't know. Uh, yeah. um, <laughs> well, no. They all graced the pages of Playboy. Oh. And that actually brings us back to today's designated drinker. Yep. Yep. Yeah, look at that. Stumped you. You should see your face, folks. Um, so, <laughs> okay. So, honestly, you, I l- wish you could see your face because I can't even read the rest of this. <laughs> so, read it because I'm not, I'm not reading it. Okay, I'm going to let you off the hook. It may, she, it was her words. Her oh. words have graced the pages <laughs> of Playboy. <laughs> um, so, she's none other. Uh, <laughs> Oh, this is so good. It's falling apart already. She's a contributing <laughs> writer and editor and the founder of Inside F&B. And she's today's designated drinker, Francine Cohen. Good morning. Did I, You know, you guys have known each other a long time. And I had to, like, it took me a while to, like, throw her off. That was really good. I've never seen her that speechless. I have never seen her that speechless in the 15 years I've known her. <laughs> and I've seen her asleep. <laughs> That was good, huh? That was really good. Yeah. Good good job digging into my bio. <laughs> well, honestly, like I said, she is a writer and contributor, um, a contributing editor to many, many, many publications, correct? I do contribute to many publications. In addition to running the online publication Inside F&B, which is for the trade and consumers who are interested in food and beverage and hospitality and the business of that business. I contribute to Vine Pair and 750 sometimes, and um, let's see, what else am I, I writing for these Chilled days? Magazine. Chilled Magazine, Travel Squire, I write about travel, used to write for Hotel Interactive, um, and who else? Oh, I often contribute to Beverage Industry News. Nice. So, but... It was that Playboy story that Gina had no idea about. Yeah, I love, I, I really, honestly, I, you're right, I never see her, I mean, literally, there was no okay, words yeah. coming out. I don't know if she was even breathing. I got my, I got, well, first of all, she was, she was doing a little, made me think, I'm like, what? 
little so, hand gestures, folks. She's using her hands. She's gesturing that yes. perhaps her bosom was in Playboy as well. Well, it's it was quite her, impressive. It, you it, know, was, it was above her bosom. It was her brain that was in Playboy, which I love. Yes, her words. Absolutely. So, yeah. But it was it was good, though. It was, uh... Oh, my God. I'm so, like... <laughs> <laughs> you know what she's doing right now? She's... she's this sounds she's awful. Shocked. She's envisioning your spread. That's oh. fine. Oh, come on. <laughs> you think I haven't seen that already? <laughs> Those late nights in New Orleans. <laughs> Sorry, Jake. <laughs> okay, so tell us, please. How did you come to this? What, what, what crazy path have you taken? To get here today. Well, it didn't start with Playboy. <laughs> it actually started in the kitchen of the White Oak Inn in Silver Spring, Maryland, or White Oak, Maryland. And it may not even exist as a restaurant anymore. But my dad was a big one for being a regular at restaurants. And there were a couple of spots we went to. And, you know, he also did things like get together with his friends. I grew up outside of Washington, D.C. I was born downtown and raised in Maryland. And, um... You know, there were a lot of people at that time, and probably still now, who were government employees but had some side gig or another love that they did. And he had friends who were all talented, qualified musicians, some of them who were professionals, and they used to get together on Friday nights and have oh, musicals cool. and dinners. And when we weren't sitting in somebody's living room listening to some concerto being played, we were going out to restaurants and back to the White Oak Inn. Um, we used to go there regularly, and we, I don't know why Tuesday night sticks out in my head, but we'd go and I'd order the same darn thing every time. <laughs> and I was all of two years old, and the same darn thing every time was escargot, a salad with gorgonzola dressing, an iced tea, and a Napoleon for dessert. At two. At two. Which is I had a fairly perfect. refined palate, <laughs> I would say. And um, I think after a couple of times of this order coming in the kitchen, the chef just wanted to know who was ordering this repeatedly. So the routine became, we'd show up at the restaurant, and my parents would be whisked off to their table. I'd be brought into the kitchen. I get to walk through the line and do my little princess wave. Of course, they fed me bits of food off the line. (laughs) So like, who didn't love that experience? And then I went and sat down and had dinner. And ever since then, I have just been fascinated by being behind the scenes in the restaurant and hospitality industry. That's so cool. It's interesting. I mean, I don't have kids um, for a lot of reasons. But I think it's odd. (laughs) But I think it's really cool. Children's kids are great. Yes, everyone else's children are great. I just never wanted to take one home. Um, Now it would just be illegal. Now I think I'd get arrested. Yeah, uh, they frown on that. Did you just write a show about that, the abduction show? Well, if he's 21, he's not technically a child, right? Oh. True. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, and this is the end of our sponsorship for the show. Everybody. <laughs> <laughs> but I think what's really interesting is that you were shown something at a very young age. It was kind of like you got to look behind the magic curtain, like behind, you know, uh, the curtain. Like, I did. And it piqued that interest. And I think it's really interesting when you um, hear people tell their stories and you can go down to that very, that, mm. that point in your life that that really sparked that whole curiosity. Right. And and, and you know, in your entire career, they're moving forward. 
I, you know, I think a lot about um, that influence on me and also the people I meet along the way whose parents were lawyers or accountants or engineers and how family, I don't want to call them dynasties, but family traditions or, or business practices sort of happen. And um, while I do like to put on my lawyer hat every once in a while, because my dad was an attorney, um, I, I count myself very fortunate that eating well, drinking well, socializing, living life to its fullest was something that was important to my parents, imbued to me or onto me, whatever the correct word is, so much, right, for, my, yeah. so much for my writing ability. <laughs> and, um, and now I've been able to make a career of it. It's, yeah. it's great. Uh, you know, people often say, oh, my God, your job is so cool. And you know what? I have to agree. It is. Yeah, it's really cool. Absolutely, I, I totally agree. I mean, we get—I get it because everyone's like, "Wait, you get to hang out with Gina and she makes you cocktails." Wait, yeah, you wait—you're you, doing a podcast that does right. that. Uh, and I'm, I ask myself, why is it so damn long to figure it out? <laughs> Hold on, today I'm not making cocktails. You aren't today. What? I'm not. Yeah. I'm yeah, not. So, I'm gonna cheat you, Francine. So, but because oh. we are here at Dante, In I New- love Dante. In- yeah. What a wonderful... On your, on your home turf. On my home turf in the village, what a wonderful evolution of one of New York City's most beloved spots that I, I have to applaud Lyndon Pride and Naren Young for taking it on and growing it into its next phase and generation because we've got this big problem here in New York that so many of our dining and drinking institutions disappear. Their leases run out. The landlords are looking for too much money when the lease renewal comes up. The neighborhood just isn't supporting it. And it's really sad when they go away. So I'm really thankful to be here at Dante and to have it here and cherish its existence. That's really interesting because not living in New York, and I've, ne- I've not ever lived in New York, do, you know, for the rest of us, we're like, man, they have everything. They have every. We never thought about the fact that, I mean, of course, in every city, you know, in D.C., of course, I mean, the restaurants have their ebb and flow. Sure. They come and go. It's the nature of the beast. But I would say that that turnover is going to be really high in, in New York. You know what? I never thought about, like, the, the flip side of that is you have so much, so you have even that much more to lose, I guess. We do, but, you know, there are, there are places, and I know this happened in D.C. recently, where a restaurant, and I cannot remember the name of it, but a restaurant with a 25 or 30 year history. I know exactly what restaurant that is. Bitches um, Restaurant Eve? No? No. It was not Restaurant Eve. It was something else. What? A restaurant in D.C. that had been open for 25 or 30 years just closed. And I can't remember what it was. 701. What was that? 701. 701? 701 just closed. 701's been open 35 years. Okay. That may have been it. It was downtown. Or it may have been something else. But but the bottom line is, you know, these things are happening with more frequency than I think any of us would like. But there's a saturation. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately. And um, so many obstacles to staying open these days. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, Gina, you know this. Before <laughs> even getting open. Listen, being a restaurant owner is not is not for the faint of heart. That is for sure. You need to be like really you 
if you open a restaurant, you're the one or two people, you have a lot of money to dump into a project and you don't care about it, and that's your failure rate. Or it's you don't have a choice, and that's what you have to do. And I think that sometimes, like, and by choice, I mean that your passion has driven you to open something. Because people, and I say this so many times, you live your life within the walls of a restaurant. Yes. You get married there. You break up there. You have the best day of your life there. You meet your girlfriend there. You have babies there. You have babies not there. You have <laughs> funerals. Right. There, you live your life in those walls. So you create, you're creating a space for others to enjoy yep. their, their lives. You know, when I went to summer camp um, in the Catoctin Mountains, not too far from Camp David, there was a place that all the counselors used to go. It was called the Odd House Pub, and we all wanted a T-shirt from the Odd House Pub. <laughs> and on the back of it, it said, the place to go when you're tired, thirsty, hungry, horny, miserable, or sick. <laughs> and, you know, I don't know if this place still exists. I wouldn't be surprised if it still does. It's a new question. Yeah, it's a question for your husband because I know he grew up around there. But, you, you know, you said it. People live their lives in restaurants. You create the scene. But... You know, going getting back to you, like you created your own scene, right? Like you didn't just like, oh, I'm gonna wake, I'm gonna, gonna wake up and live in New York and be a writer, and that doesn't happen, right? So like you create your own path, and you really your path has been pathless. So can we like talk about a little bit of that because like I think like the inspiration to me of knowing you and lucky enough to know you for the last 15 years really set a tone for me to like say strive and like being outside of your boundaries and say. Well, I'm not comfortable doing this, but I'm gonna do it anyway. How do you like like talk oh, about that a little bit? Good space. I I just had this conversation with my husband last night. He said, "Why why do you never want to do the stuff you're good at?" Um, <laughs> I don't know. It just doesn't interest me. Yeah, I I have had this career that is exceptionally non-traditional and non-linear. And I think the whole thing was really fueled by just doing what I wanted to do and um, finding those projects that made me happy where I could thrive. And I was driven by my own satisfaction rather than some external mores of what I should be doing next. And and quite honestly, while it's been exceptionally satisfying, um, probably as I look ahead to Social Security, I, I'm not going to be as well positioned as I would have been had I followed a more linear path and grew my revenue along the way. Um, but, you know, as you were saying earlier, when you die, you're probably going to just drop dead on the spot doing something you love. <laughs> You know, when I die, look, if, it, if I go that quickly, fabulous. I won't know it. Um, but, you know, if I have a longer time to linger around and I can kind of reflect on my life, I can say, I truly spent my time, and you spent a lot of waking time. Ooh, I think I hear a cocktail coming. Um, I can say, I truly spent my time doing what mattered to me, doing what really moved me, doing what made me happy on a day-to-day -day basis. And, you know, I spent a lot of time talking to women and men who are younger than I am or, or in a different place in their career. And, you know, the question always comes up, what do I do next? 
And, and you have to kind of look at how much time you spend at work every day and how do you want to spend that time. And I committed early on to spending my days just making myself happy because I couldn't be miserable doing something I didn't want to do. I think we, 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 we're just not good at it. I mean, what, well, you don't that, succeed when you don't want to do something. Yeah, because that love and passion to make to go to work harder, to extra hour, to do the one extra thing, to stay up the extra three hours, the, the that goes away because that love to make it happen disappears. And I can't imagine ever find, going down that path and staying there too long. No, I think you end up miserable. You probably cause yourself. You know, grave physical illness. I mean, just but, but here's the thing: how do you navigate it, right? So, Nick, like this is what I find fascinating is the fact that you navigate it. Okay, you navigate the ebbs and flows of the non-traditional work, right? right? Where you say, "I'm going to do this," and then not do this, and you say yes and no to things right? to, to make yourself happy. There is a point, and I think you know, you look at our up and coming, you know, who's going to be our workforce, right? Right. You know, I think that they are so blissful that they're almost non-working. Right. And I feel like sometimes, a lot of times, you know, you know, they're like, "Well, I want to do what you do." Well, you know, yeah. You know, it took it took twenty took twenty five right? years yeah. to do what I do now. Yeah. And like, you know, it's you know, you're you've made you've made cocktails for for five months. So, <laughs> you know, you got to put the you, you know. You did, you did put an effort into making the non-traditional path. Like, there was a work... There was a time... Oh, sure. ...where you punched a car. Like, you sure. know, you were, you were yeah. time punchers. Yeah. Right. And I Absolutely. think... I don't, I don't know how you guys want to describe it, like, describe it, but... It's uh, paying your due. There we yep. go. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you need to, or you can, find a way to pay your dues. But I think with this younger workforce... What they need to understand is they can follow their passion, but they have to be committed to doing everything it involves. And sometimes it's not sexy. I mean, in addition to writing, I produce special events. It means I need to get in a cab and go across town in a snowstorm to drop off a bottle for somebody. Or I need to tip out the doormen to help me get 11 boxes back over to FedEx. Or I need to have carried those boxes, you know, from my room at the hotel where I'm staying before the event. Hold on. And it's 101 degrees. And then she finds her like friend on the street. <laughs> yeah. And she's like, what are you doing right now? And you're like, oh, nothing. Why do you want to grab a drink? No, I have nine boxes. I need to go to the, go to the Royal Sonasta. And you're like, oh. All right, let's move on. <laughs> but, but Gina, that's a really good point because while, while I might admit to have taken advantage of your generosity now and again, I constantly feel like I still owe you. On the other hand, it's a give and take. Yeah. And it's about the friendship we've built. And that's another thing that I don't think young people who who are having that conversation you described yet understand it's um it's an effort there has it's an effort but it's about building that network that network and that network is what gets you the job done whether it's convincing gina to help me schlep nine boxes in 101 degree heat or um 
or whether it's being able to pick up the phone and or have a conversation with a journalist when I'm promoting something like the Women's Cocktail Collective and get them interested because I've got a long-standing relationship with that person that they know when I share information with them, it's going to be something they're interested in, something they need, and I'm going to give them the, all the tools to do their job. It's years of history Absolutely. built up. I um, often, you know, I, in my career, I would get the same thing when I was freelancing. Everyone would be like, oh my, and I would meet young people. I would sit on boards that I mentor. I think it's very important that we do that, and I really enjoy that part of my career. And I still do that, even though I'm not in an agency anymore. But I would get people come up, young people going, I want, I want to freelance. How do you do it? I want to do it right now. And I'm like, well, first you have to cut your teeth. And I was like, oh, it's, right. an, it's a really short path. I spent the first, you know, 16 years you know, my first 16 years right. cutting my teeth in the agency because who's going to give you their business and trust their business to an, somebody who doesn't understand? They're not. And you can't, as smart as you may be, experience and time is so important. Irreplaceable. Because it, ta- it because you are going to fall down. You are going to be hit with that snowstorm. You are going to, like, find out that they hate purple and your entire presentation is purple. What do you do at that moment, and how do you how do you navigate the, that space? And the only way you can do that is by doing it. Yes. And it, it's just, it's it's unfortunate. Or is it? I mean, because you, you just learn so much. You learn how to dance. You do. You need that experience. You really need that experience. You need the choreography. You need the, was it chore, uh, choreography? You need to learn the choreography yes. of your dance. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Because you can see it a million times, but you'll fall. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, the, the truth is, you will. Um, so, I, what, wait, hold, hold, hold. I'm holding. Francine is doing a new thing with the, uh, called the Women's Cocktail Collective, right? She'll go into this a little bit, but because of that, she brought us a wonderful piece. She brought a beautiful piece go, and we're going to have Pisco Sours here at Dante. I'm, I'm <clears> excited <throat> because not only are Pisco Sours one of Peru's national cocktails, but it's got egg white in it, and I haven't had breakfast yet, so... It makes it is, healthy. It makes it healthy. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. Cheers, ladies. Oh, that's good. And this is why people keep coming back to Dante. Yeah. And for the food. And that's why we're sitting behind uh, a wall full of of every award you could win. 50 best, (laughs) best, most spirited, best bar program, best bar team. Time out. Time out. Nice. It's wonderful. Again, our jobs do not suck. No, our jobs (laughs) are pretty nice. There are bad days. Of course. You know, being an entrepreneur also, I think... There's a certain amount of isolation and a certain amount of, oh my goodness, what the heck have I done? Mm-hmm. And a certain amount of being a fighter, a firefighter every day. Yep. Um, I was actually having a conversation the other day with um, Caitlin Squass, who runs Pura Vida Tequila with her husband, Scott. And she was saying, you know, if if you don't have at least one time a day where you're saying, are you serious? And then fixing the problem, you're not having a day. <laughs> and I think she's right. And, and you know, that is, going back to your experience, that's another one of those things that you have to learn on the way up and you just can't know coming out of the box. Like, I, oops, sorry. I don't care if you went to the best business school in the world. Practical experience 
is equally important to prepare you to succeed. Absolutely, because when that same problem presents itself to you the second time, you know what to do. You know exactly what you're going to do. Uh, I don't know. I've seen uh, grease traps go on fire and be dumped and stuff in restaurants. You never know what to do. So I'm going to go in. Sometimes... Okay. Just never know I'm going to say firefighting in my world has a different meaning than firefighting. Okay, in the actual world. firefighting means okay. <laughs> Can they all just be really hot without their shirts on? <laughs> you know, it's true. Firefighters are very good looking men or women. They physically have to be. So maybe it's part of the job. You know, I have to. You know, sitting here, I just I I can't help to go back to what where we are because you talk about like the poeticness of it again, right? And you're yeah. drinking this beautiful Pisco Sour and you're sitting here and you're looking out the windows that are gently hand-painted and you're like, and you're like, so much time, right? So you talk about your crafted, like, you know, being an entrepreneur and crafting your business, right? right? And you're in this place and you're in a time, it's 1915 and, you know, it's been here forever and, you know, we heard that Bob Dylan lived across the street and, you know, Patti Smith and you're like... Yeah, you can I see, see it. it. You, you can do. feel it. You can feel you like do. that. Um, There's good ghosts it's here. It's the fabric yeah. of New York. It's just, you know, places like this are why people come to New York. Why they have this dream that they want to live here. Yeah. No, it's just Times Square. They just want to go there. But underneath all the lights. If they brought back, all, <laughs> if they brought back the people in I would go to Times Square more. But they don't have those anymore. Do they? There is... Still a peep show on 8th Avenue, somewhere between 42nd and 50th Street on the west side of the avenue. I would like to do another podcast for I love Look the that fact up. that we started, open the show with, with Playboy, <laughs> Playboy, and you now we're talking Playboy about peep shows. And you know, that Francine knows exactly where they know, are. My mother is going to hear this and think that I'm a pervert. <laughs> You know, my mother knows I'm a perker. We, we already got her past the issue where she thought I had a drinking problem. Oh my gosh. Birds of a feather. It's what, you know, it's no, what happens when I, you hang out with the wrong crowd, Francine. You know, jeez. Jeez, please. Really? Literally. Uh, you know, I've never said that before. I love when every every time somebody stumbles upon that, they're like, geez, we, oh, I was like, really? It took yeah. you that long? Yeah. <laughs> I know, I didn't even think of that. That's oh my goodness, we've stumped her twice today. Can we? I think we should play the lottery or something. Um, <laughs> Women's Cocktail Collective, yes. Women's Cocktail wow. Collective. Talk to me. Oh my new. God, it's new. It's new. It's exciting. So brand new, brand, brand new. Um, Ten female founders or producers who have come together with shared business ethos um, and a belief in, you know, mentoring and bettering the economy around them, the society. But the the impetus for them collecting is is to amplify their voices and raise their visibility and profile in the spirits industry, which is traditionally male-dominated. And these women who big own... Big brand, too. Big brand and small brand. And and across the board, from distiller to distillery owner to, you know, distributor to, to funding, whether it's angel investors, you know, you're talking to VCs, 
let's leave friends and family funding out of it. Um, you're, you're going to big financial institutions looking for money. These women are hitting roadblocks at every turn because they just don't have historically, institutionally, the same kind of presence in the industry and the same kind of recognition and the same growth. And they don't have access to funding to get them to that point. So the thought process was, let's come together, let's share resources, let's share teams, let's share information, and they're working literally collectively to boost each other's business and to raise their individual brand visibility. So, for instance, if one person in New York is making a presentation to their distributor for the month of March, they will suggest to their distributor, hey, let's do a whole program with these other brands. Getting the salespeople on board um, with some support for all the brands in the collective. So they're starting off now. They just formed at the end of February and March, Women's History Month, which is an apt timing, um, is their first big initiative. And what they're doing with bars and retailers around the country is putting the brands of the collective up on a pedestal. So in bars, hopefully bartenders will be creating drinks that have two or more collective brands in the recipe and put those drinks on the menu. At retail, the hope is that there are four more of the collective brands on the shelves and you know ideally shelved together with some big display but if not at least a visible hang tag or shelf talker that um, will brand it as a women's collective brand so whether you're over in the gin section or in the scotch section or looking at tequilas or even sparkling wines you'll sort of recognize that tag that you saw across the store and a portion of proceeds in March from the sale of these bottles or excuse me or these cocktails are going to two outlets. Um, one is the Outsmart New York organization, which is an organization that provides training in the hospitality industry to recognize, address, and prevent sexual harassment. Wow. Great. Much, much needed in this industry. Forget it. Yeah. So needed. So mm-hmm. needed if you've been reading the papers. Oh, if you've been in it. If you've been in it, yeah. true. And, and I would find it fairly safe to assume that most women who are in the hospitality industry have encountered it at some point in their lives. Heck, you know, I would say most women have encountered it at some point most, in their lives. That, you know, I was going to add that because everyone knows that I'm outside this industry right? Um, on the privy, but I'm going to tell you the advertising industry was... Yeah. Was, oh, my God. I, I used to work in advertising, and I, you know, I was a young girl, and I didn't mouth off to my bosses ever, but... I, I had one boss who people used to say he had a casting couch. Mm-hmm. And I knew he was, like, trying to, you know, date women by looking at their portfolios. It was, it was gross. Um, so, you know, hopefully funding organizations like Outsmart will help weed that out of our society and out of the industry. And then the, um, the, re- the other portion of the portion of proceeds are being directed towards the funding of the National Women's Museum, which is, 
your love, right? As, as I understand, a small collection right now in D.C. around the corner from the Distilled Spirits Council yeah. of the United States. Yeah. But, you know, hopefully we'll all raise enough money through the sale of these cocktails for it to get bigger and have a full-blown presence on the mall. So that's what the women of the collective are doing. You know, they're there. They're there to build their businesses, but they're also there to build up other women. It's ingrained in their mission. So tell me this. How would somebody, if, if listening, how can they get involved? Is there something they can do? They can donate to those two charities our, for sure. Well, they can donate to the two charities, but I would love to see people going on the Women's Cocktail Collective website, which is womenscocktailcollective.com, and seeing what the participating brands are and going out and asking for them at retail, asking for them at bars, um, you know, supporting these cocktails during Women's History Month, tweeting about these women-owned businesses, and certainly if they've got access to funding streams and are looking to invest themselves, get in touch and find out how they can help grow women's businesses. Yep. You know, um, so speaking of growing a woman's business, I'm going to do a, a shameless plug. <laughs> we need you um, to subscribe, download, and review. Yes. Um, and uh, support the, the podcast that way because we want to get further and further up those ratings and we can only do that with your help. And then if you want to find out more information about, um, Jean's going to put a recipe on how to make classic Pisco Sour, yeah? Um, even though, and then a Pisco-ish Sour. And then, yeah, we'll give her, we'll give her well, I never want to box her in and no one ever wants me to. You can head over to designateddrinker.show. That is... DesignatedDrinker.show. And she'll have all the how-tos and ingredients and the recipe um, on how to um, on, on the cocktails that we're enjoying today. But what we also definitely want to do is support you, um, Francine. And we'll definitely have the web address there. So if you didn't get it, didn't get it when Francine said it, don't worry about it. Head over to our website and we're gonna have all the links um, on how that you want us to list so that people I mean it's such a great reason to get in it's, it's such a great purpose and um, and it's easy. I mean, what you're asking people to do is easy. I mean, you, yeah, just I, drink. Yeah, I've basically <laughs> asked. Idea. I've basically asked people to drink. Yeah. Um, you know, I've asked them for a little money because it costs something to drink. But the other thing is, is that um, <laughs> you know, studies have shown not to get too wonky, but we love you, wonky. Okay, so great. So let me throw out some stats here. Studies have shown that diversity in industry benefits the economy. Yep. Well, California just passed a law that says 40% of, forgive me, it's either executive boards or C-suites need to be held by a female. Wow. Um, that is because of all the funding that's happening out there, women are only seeing 2% of those dollars. If women are not funded for their entrepreneurial efforts, then their businesses cannot grow. Yep. And if they cannot grow, they cannot hire. And if they cannot hire, then it's just a domino effect. You're not stimulating the economy. But, you know, with with 80, I think it's 80 or 87% of um shopping decisions made Absolutely. by women and a high percentage of female drinkers maybe 57% of um, 
all liquor purchases are made by women. Like, why are we not underwriting women who are making these spirits? So it, I can support that 100%. It's knowledge. With, with it's knowledge of who makes the product. But, well, it, what, it's you really know simple. You can look a store, there's a woman product that's true. in it. Very true. Very I mean, true. You mean, I mean, you, I mean, like... Well, that's why I'm talking yeah. about. Yeah. That's it. That's it. But I mean, to, that's okay. you know, sorry. But to your point about the fact that women make the decision, I, I mean, every creative brief I've ever gotten for a retail and even yeah. a service is that you're always aiming at the female consumer. Right. Why? Even if a men's aftershave, a men's razor, a men's like any of that, because his wife or his girlfriend said, mm-hmm. "Do this." Yeah. And and then if you're talking about children's products, it's the mom who decides what it is. Absolutely. Where do people travel? where she wants to go. That's right. And it, it is crazy that that is the reality. Man, Neil's got a hold on me. We do everything yes. he wants. Okay, but, <laughs> but Gina, let I me ask you I don't truly believe that. I, I might believe it, but yeah. Gina, let me ask you this. Neil gets to make the decision on where you're going. Who does the planning? Mama. Exactly. 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 See, I'm going to say See? mine's the opposite. I can decide where we go, and Dave does all the planning. Because he's an engineer, and so, uh, like, he's so introvert, but he's very, like, scheduled. Like, And I'm just like, I think we get there at this yeah. time. And he's like, it's way too much uh, goosey for him. him. So I, I learned. Maybe Neil does both. After 25 <laughs> years, I learned to just go, here's what I want to do. And then I just walk Fabulous. away. And he uh, does it. And he's happier for it because he gets a schedule to do it the way, you know, like, it's, he knows exactly what we're doing. See, it took me a minute. Yeah. Oh, there is nothing like going on vacation and having that scheduling responsibility lifted off you. Jake and I were just on vacation, and um, we hired a guide, and all I had to worry about was what time I needed to be at his car. And were where? you dressed appropriate for whatever you were for doing? For the weather. I yeah. think guides are amazing. I think that's another, that's another topic. That's two topics. For oh, my God. <laughs> I say we just take the show on the road and just start traveling. I say, I say we, we call the show and we say, we love you, Francine. And then we have another drink here and then we call and that's it. What do you think? Okay. You good with that? All right. Let's wrap it up. Have some more cocktails and do what we do best. Uh, cheers. cheers, ladies.